Block AC, how are we doing tonight? Hey, y'all, it is good to be with you here, except for a little, a little key issue is that none of you are actually in the room right now today. That is because we had a technical issue last week, and so I'm actually re-recording this a week later. But I still wanted to get you guys hype as soon as you start listening to this. And, and genuinely, y'all, the reason why we record these is that you can re-listen to these talks and you can understand more of what it means to follow Jesus and how to build your life on him as a young adult. The other key thing that we would love it if you would do, uh, share it with your friends, right? Like, we, we don't want you to share this just so that, you know, we get our name out there in the podcast world. We want you to share this because we believe that this is genuinely where life is found. So if you, if you like this and you are listening to this recording and this is something that is a blessing to you, I would encourage you, share it on Instagram, uh, share it on a text message to some of your friends. Also, feel free to like and review it, all that kind of stuff. It, it really does help more people learn about where they can find life. Uh, so with that, I'm going to get started, uh, but we are going to continue our misconception series today. Uh, if you were with us last week, you'll know that we talked about more XYZ equals more happiness, and the fact that that is actually a misconception, that more things really don't make us happy, right? And so we're going to be continuing on with week two of our misconception series, but uh, before we get started about tonight's topic... I want to tell you guys about a misconception that I held for a long part of my life. And uh, I'll just be upfront with you guys. This is not going to win me any friends, especially not in this room or to anyone listening to this. So I'm from Kansas City. If you know me, you know that. You know that I'm about what Kansas City is about, right? I'm about Kansas City sports teams. I'm about Kansas City music. I'm about Kansas City barbecue. I mean... If there is any kind of barbecue in the world, everyone from Kansas City, you ask them, where is the best? We believe that it comes from Kansas City, the best barbecue. Don't give us any of that Carolina nonsense. Don't give us any of that Texas trash. Don't give us any of that Memphis mayhem, right? We want good Kansas City homegrown barbecue. You know, and I, I thought that like a good Kansas Cityan for... Uh, for about 28 years of my life, 28 years and 12 days to be exact, until I, I went to Memphis for my cousin's wedding. Some of y'all are right now saying, Nick, stop talking. Shut your mouth right now and stop talking. But guys, you need to know, so I go to Memphis with my mom and dad for my cousin's wedding, and my dad used to actually compete in barbecue competitions. And so he's thinking, well, I need to at least try out the competition. And so I say, you know what, like any good objective fan, I need to go with my dad and try this out. So we go to this place, it's called Charlie Vargas Rendezvous. It's in downtown Memphis. And there's a couple other things you need to know about this day. One, I'm not particularly hungry that day. Like I, I ate breakfast. This is just a normal lunchtime. I haven't done anything that's made me really all that hungry. Uh, another thing that you need to know about me is that I'm not a foodie, right? Like I, I eat to live. I eat so that I can work. I eat so that I can hang out with my friends. I eat so that I can live my life. I do not live to eat food. And so I'm not like a, a big food guy. But we get to this barbecue restaurant called Rendezvous, 
and it's a charcoal grill. And so I'm thinking, man, should be pretty good. And we go down. The restaurant is in the basement. Good vibes, cool atmosphere, good music, great decorations. We love it. Sit down. Our waiter's name is Calvin. Calvin tells us he's actually on the barbecue team for this restaurant that travels around and does competitions. And so we tell him, honestly, we said, hey, man, we're from Kansas City. And my dad says, Calvin, we're going to be honest with you. We know that Kansas City barbecue is the best, so what can you show us about Memphis barbecue? And he sits there and goes, hold on, guys. I'm going to take care of you. And so while we order our meats that we were going to have, he starts bringing out every single side that they have in that restaurant just to give us a try. I mean, this guy, he was hooking us up. And I sit down with my pork ribs in front of me, and I take one bite of those ribs. Guys, I started to cry. I started to cry because it was so good. I absolutely loved it, right? It was amazing. And not only were the ribs amazing, but the pulled pork was amazing. And the lamb ribs were amazing. And the coleslaw was good, right? Like the, the potato salad had the right amount of spice. The sweet tea wasn't just iced tea with sugar sprinkled into it, which, by the way, is an abomination, right? The sweet tea was actual, good, proper sweet tea. Every single thing that I tried in that place was so good. It was so good that it made the emotions well up within me. My dad said that he's going to stop having to cook lamb. He's like, I don't think I can do it anymore because I'm not going to top this. My mom, she eats keto, and she says, this is worth breaking keto. And we are just going on and on about this. Y'all, I have lived around the world, right? Like, I have lived in Asia. I've been to China. I've been to London. I've been to Dubai. I've been to Singapore. And I have had a lot of good food around the world. I've also eaten at my Nana's kitchen. I've eaten in my mom's kitchen, right? And I have had some good food there, too. This was not just the best barbecue that I have ever had. This was the best meal that I have ever had in my entire life. I know, I know. Some of you are very disappointed, right? But like so often in our lives, we think we know best. We don't really want to listen to other people when they recommend things because we're skeptical that it'll actually be better. Just like right now, you're sitting there and you're like, Nick, there's no way that that barbecue is actually better than Kansas City barbecue. And, and while it might be kind of funny when we're talking about barbecue, it's, it's a little bit more of an issue when it comes to things about this life. Because maybe, maybe your misconception about something is because you've never tried it, like me and Memphis barbecue. I hated on it for years. I'd never even given it a shot. Maybe you've heard someone else's misconception about that issue. So we try to define life and navigate our way through it, but we think like, hey, I want to do it my way. And tonight, that is exactly our misconception, that the Bible might be for other people, but it's not for me. Maybe you've never tried reading the Bible yourself. Maybe you've heard some misconceptions. How many of you have heard the Bible is just not relevant to my life. Or the Bible's really outdated. God's word, it just isn't for me. Guys, the Bible talks about everything that we could ever want or need. It talks about jobs, influence, friendships, partying, relationships, you name it. We've actually spent our last two series looking at what God has to say about relationships and then at mental health. 
which are honestly, let's be honest, the big things for young adults. But God's word is what we can find life in. We can learn from it. It is relevant to our lives. And so tonight we're going to be looking at a king named Solomon. So he was an Israelite king that lived 3,000 years ago. And when he was young, God gave him extraordinary wisdom and wealth and fame. See, Solomon was the richest man who had ever lived. He was the wisest man who had ever lived. Anything that you or I could ever imagine, he can top that. Far beyond that. He, he starts to try to find life, though, in other things besides God's word, even though God had blessed him when he was young. And it takes him on a roller coaster, y'all. We're going to get to see that. Because at the end of his life, God, write, guides, God guides him to write a poem called Ecclesiastes, which reflects on his life, on everything he accomplished, as well as his thoughts on it. So we're going to look at how relevant the Bible is today by seeing all of what Solomon found through his life. And hey, if you have not read the Bible, you are in the right place. You are listening to this in the right place because that is what the block is for. We are designed to help young adults who are not familiar with the Bible or who maybe don't know how come to see God's word come alive to them in their lives. Also, if you're sitting there and you're like, Nick, the Bible is too old. Check out what Solomon writes in his poem. He says, what exists now is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing truly new on earth. Y'all hear that idiom, history repeats itself? Like, it's true. It just is. You know how people complain about the newest generation? They're always saying, oh man, millennials are ruining this industry. Or Gen Z is causing this financial market. I don't know what we did to cause all these things. But apparently it's our fault. I'm not quite sure why. Listen to this quote. Our earth is degenerate in these latter days. There are signs that the world is speedily coming to an end. Bribery and corruption are common. Children no longer obey their parents. The end of the world is evidently approaching. That kind of sounds like something that, you know, your crazy uncle or some grandma wrote on Facebook, right? Complaining about the modern times. Maybe it, it kind of sounds like something from World War II or maybe from even the Civil War. Y'all, that was written 5,000 years ago in ancient Babylon. They're still saying the same things. History repeats itself. You might think, well, hey, Nick, clearly technology has changed. Yes, it, that is very, very true. But our response to new technology hasn't changed. Our need for innovation hasn't changed. Check out what this principal said in 1815. Students today, I, guys, I love this. I think this is hilarious. Students today depend on paper too much. They don't know how to write on a chalkboard without getting chalk dust all over themselves. They can't clean a chalkboard properly. What will they do when they run out of paper? Man, if that isn't someone complaining about using an iPad or an iPhone or a laptop, I don't know what is. But guys, to be honest, we have all been trying to find hope and build our lives in all the same places for all time. Humanity, we really haven't changed too much. The ways that we pursue these things might change, but our core desires are the same. We're going to look at how King Solomon tried to build his life on everything in the world, and then what he realizes about the Bible. And before we continue, I'm going to ask that you just take five to ten seconds and pray and ask God. 
Maybe you're sitting here and you're doubting. You're like, there's no way God's word is going to be relevant to my life. Just in your heart, pray. All you have to do is sink it. God can hear you. And think, God, I want you to show me if this is real. Because if this is where life is found, I want that. So take a couple seconds, pray that. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. God, I, I, I pray that as we are going through this, looking at if your word is relevant to us, God, I pray that it would work on our hearts. God, I, I pray that we would see that you love us and that you want us to build your life on your word and to see that building our lives on everything else is going to let us down. God, I pray that as we are listening to this tonight, God, I pray that it would be something that would not just be a one-time thing, but it would be a daily transformational life change lesson. God, and I, I just pray that I communicate everything clearly as I should, and I want to honor you with everything I say. I love you, I'm grateful for you, and I pray all these things through Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Solomon is going to start off the poem of Ecclesiastes. He says this, the words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Sweet title, right? You just start off, you know, that's a fun intro to a poem. And then he says, Utterly pointless, says the teacher. Absolutely pointless. Everything is pointless. Y'all are thinking, oh, so it's one of those kind of poems. <laughs> what Solomon is saying here, though, is he's saying that everything is pointless. And that word pointless means it's like trying to catch smoke. He's saying that everything in life, like you can't catch it. It's like chasing the wind. There's no point to trying to build your life on these things. And so he starts on this real happy positive note, and then he's going to go through his life and examine every single thing that he has tried to build his life on. And he starts with pretty much the thing that every single person starts with, achievements. It says this in Ecclesiastes 1.12, I, the key teacher, I, the teacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I have reflected on everything that is accomplished by man on earth. And I concluded, everything he has accomplished is pointless, like chasing the wind. It's, it's exactly the same thing with our high school resumes. Right? We're like, man, that's dead, that's gone, that's pointless. And Solomon's saying, I'm the king, and that's pointless. So he moves on to knowledge and comparison. He decides he's going to be the most knowledgeable and wisest human on earth, and he's also not going to be stupid. Good thought, right? He says, I thought to myself, I have become much wiser than any of my predecessors who ruled over Jerusalem. I have acquired much wisdom and knowledge. So I decided to discern the benefit of wisdom and knowledge over foolish behavior and ideas. Which sounds pretty good, right? I'm going to look at foolish and stupid thoughts and figure out why being smart and wise is better than being stupid. And I'm going to compare myself to everyone around me. And again, most importantly not make stupid choices. Sound familiar? I think we've been there. However, I concluded that even this endeavor is like trying to chase the wind. For with great wisdom comes great frustration. For whoever increases his knowledge merely increases his heartache. <laughs> and the, the sad thing is Solomon's saying, even if he knows not to make stupid choices, he still does it. And that hurts. Even more, he sees everyone else doing the same thing. And it's heartbreaking. I'm sure you guys have been there as well. 
right? History repeats itself. So now Solomon is pretty down in the dumps, right? He thinks, man, maybe I'm just going to try partying. He says in his journal, I thought to myself, come now, I will try self-indulgent pleasure to see if it is worthwhile. Not a bad idea. Maybe I should go party. He continues, though, but I found that it is also pointless. I said of partying, it is foolish, and of self-indulgent pleasure, it accomplishes nothing. I thought deeply about the effects of indulging myself with wine and the effects of behaving foolishly so that I might discover what is profitable for people to do on earth during the few days of their lives. He's reflecting on a party lifestyle and starts to see that uh, getting drunk makes him behave foolishly and binging on whatever he wants doesn't really accomplish anything. But again, it sounds like something we might try. So Solomon and us continue our search. He tries relationships. He says, I acquired for myself what gives a man sensual delight, a harem of beautiful concubines. And I'll give you guys this one. We aren't out getting harems for ourselves. Uh, If you are dating multiple people right now, stop doing that. Like right now, that is not good. Stop dating multiple people. That's bad. Stop doing it. But the lie that we often believe is that we think we need to experiment with a couple different partners to find sexual compatibility. And hey, Solomon could try that too. Right, he had over 700 wives and 300 concubines. That means that he could have sex with a different person every single day if he wanted to, and he could do that for 2.5 years before he had to repeat it with any other woman. Isn't that crazy? He could find any kind of sexual compatibility that he wants. And check out what he says, though. He says, by the way, it's best to just love the wife of his youth. He says, enjoy life with your beloved wife during all the days of your fleeting life that God has given you on earth during all your fleeting days. For that is your reward in life and in your burdensome work on earth. It's a singular. One wife. He says that's what he sees as a gift from God, his first wife. And it's not about the sensual delight. It's not about the sex. It's about enjoying life with another person as a gift from God. The Bible has so much more to say on fulfilling marriage, but we've been through that. And so enough on that for right now. So Solomon grows up a little bit after all this. And he says, okay, the partying thing wasn't that great. I'm a mature, responsible adult. What I need is to get some great stuff. He says, I increased my possessions. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I designed royal gardens and parks for myself. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. Man, guy's got everything. He says, I also amassed silver and gold for myself, as well as valuable treasures taken from kingdoms and provinces. I acquired male singers and female singers for myself. So I was far wealthier than all my predecessors in Jerusalem, yet I maintained my objectivity. And you're thinking, shoot, man, he's got everything. Like, he's got a park. I don't have my own park. He's got some fruit trees. I've just got that crab apple tree in my backyard that my landlord won't let me cut down. He's got male and female singers, gold. That's what I want. He says, I did not restrain myself from getting whatever I wanted. I did not deny myself anything that would bring me pleasure. So all my accomplishments gave me joy. This was my reward for all my effort. Hang on, wait. He said, all my accomplishments gave me joy. Guys, he did it. 
he found the answer. This is what you build your life on. Money and things that give us joy. Get rich, get yourself some parks, get yourself some fruit trees, get yourself some male and female singers, and you'll be happy. Right? This is good, right? The Bible says get rich and you'll be happy. We're done. We can call it. Except... He says, yet when I reflected on everything I had accomplished and on all the effort that I had expended to accomplishment or accomplish it, I concluded all these achievements and possessions are ultimately profitless. Like chasing the wind. There is nothing gained from them on earth. Think about that. The richest man in all the whole world. And he says... It's ultimately pointless. This is where you really start to feel the desperation of Solomon. He starts thinking about being remembered throughout history, but he realizes that's pointless. He says, for the wise man, like the fool, will not be remembered for very long. Because in the days to come, both will already have been forgotten. Alas, the wise man dies just like the fool. So he tries to escape through work. What does a man acquire from all his labor and from the anxiety that accomplishes his toil on earth? For all day long, his work, his work produces pain and frustration, and even at night, his mind cannot relax. This also is pointless. Sound familiar? Man, this is a guy who lived 3,000 years ago, and he's throwing himself at work. And just like you and me, he has those nights where he lays there and can't stop thinking about his job, even though he wakes up and says that he hates his job. So Solomon, poor guy, he starts deciding, hey, maybe I should start paying attention to those around me. And we're thinking, yeah, like, maybe you should. He thinks, maybe I should just try to help others. That will make me happy. So I again considered all the oppression that continually occurs on earth. This is what I saw. The oppressed were in tears, but no one was comforting them. No one delivers them from the power of their oppressors. But he's the king, right? Like surely he can step in and the government can do something. If he can just get enough laws or the right people in power, surely something will change. But he says this, if you see the extortion of the poor or the perversion of justice and fairness in the government, do not be astonished by the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher official, and there are higher ones over them. The produce of the land is seized by all of them. Even the king is served by the fields. Y'all, people have been oppressed since the very beginning of human history. And no amount of government and no amount of laws and no amount of helping other people will be able to usher in any kind of utopia. And trying to build our lives on such a thing will not change anything. We see it no matter what side of the political party you lean on. You look at people in power, those who have, and you think, man, they only keep getting richer. All the while, people are suffering. So Solomon starts looking at his whole life. Everything is accomplished. All he's built, all the gardens, all the parks... All the parties, all the wives, all the friends, all the work, everything. And he realizes that he's going to lose it all. He says, this is the unfortunate fact about everything that happens on earth. 
The same fate awaits everyone. In addition to this, the hearts of all people are full of evil, and there is folly in their hearts during their lives. Then they die. And guys, we look at this man in the Bible who lived 3,000 years ago, what God says about it all, and we think, man, well, that's a bummer. Sorry to hear that, Solomon. But y'all, this is us. We try to put our hope in achievements. We try to not make stupid choices and we compare ourselves to others. We try partying and we try pleasure and we try Netflix and we try binging and we try YouTube and we try food and we try to get houses in KC and a beach house in Miami and going on that sweet bachelorette party to Nashville or that sweet bachelor trip to Vegas. And we try to go on the most luxurious or enjoyable vacations and we try to get a Lambo or a Range Rover or a Forest Green Chevy High Country with Lance Leather, leather Seats. Not that I would know about what that is. But we try to get six zeros in the bank account. And we binge on music. And we put our stock in NFTs. And we try to build our lives on everything. And it's like chasing smoke. And that's the thing about chasing smoke. can't do it. Achievements, comparison, intelligence, partying, pleasure, binging, money, stuff, relationships, all of it. It all is like chasing smoke. It won't last. Everything except God's word. The one source of hope that points out the entire time where life has been found. And Solomon has had it right under his nose the whole time. He's tried everything. He realized he's going to die. And at the end of this whole journey, he says this. Having heard everything, I reached this conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments because this is the whole duty of man. Man, he does it, right? He searched his whole life and he finally realized that life is found in God. And that God's commands give us the ability to actually enjoy life. But here is the tragic thing. His own father, a man named King David, loved God's word. And when Solomon was young, David encouraged Solomon to find life in God's word. David wrote these words in a song. The law of the Lord is perfect and preserves one's life. The rules set down by the Lord are reliable and impart wisdom to the inexperienced. The Lord's precepts are fair and make one joyful. The Lord's commands are pure and give insight for life. The commands to fear the Lord are right and endure forever. The judgments given by the Lord are trustworthy and absolutely just. So, or King David is saying, this is what we put our hope in, God's word. It says that God's word gives us life. It preserves our life. We stay connected to God through his word. And God is a source of life and enjoyment and purpose, just like Solomon says. He says this, he says, There's nothing better for people than to eat and drink and to find enjoyment in their work. I also perceive that this ability to find enjoyment comes from God. For no one can eat and drink or experience joy apart from him. Even if you don't know it, God is giving you the ability to enjoy your life. 
And you get to know the God that loves you and that made you, and that is where life is found. And we get to know him through his word that he has written to us. He says he also gives rules. His rules gives wisdom to the inexperienced. Hey, maybe you're just like nervous or insecure about relationships. Like you don't want to get married because you're sure you're going to mess it up. Maybe you think that you're socially awkward. Like you're just like, I don't know how to talk to people. Maybe you're nervous about raising kids or about finances or about work. But y'all, I have seen story after story of people come from the most tragic backgrounds and they begin to put their hope and build their life on God's word and their lives completely change. I've heard stories of people who grew up in homes with an abusive mom or dad who wasn't around and they end up making amazing parents. I have heard stories of people who had no social awareness at all, right? But they study God's word and suddenly everyone is going to them for advice. I've heard stories about people who have been in terrible, tragic relationships and they put their hope in God's word and they have a fruitful marriage that lasts their entire life. God's word, following these rules, it gives us wisdom to the inexperienced. It says that his precepts or his commands make us joyful. And we kind of think that following God sounds boring, but he's the one who came to give us life. He's the one who designed us to be able to enjoy things in the first place. And he's the one who's saying, stop chasing smoke and get to know me and you'll have joy. And it is, it's, it's a celebration. It's astounding. It really is. It's like nothing else I have ever experienced. He says that his commands are pure and they help us see life clearly. We start to see the way the world actually is, cut through the smog. It says that the command to fear the Lord or to fear God endures forever. It never changes. You can put the same amount of hope in God's word when you're 27 that you can when you're 87. And it says that God's judgments are trustworthy. And no matter where culture goes, and no matter what the media is reporting on, you can know that God's word is trustworthy and it's absolutely just. Y'all, the world is a hard place. There's not a lot of life or clarity or certainty or any of these things that we mentioned. And sometimes it can kind of just feel like we're stumbling around. We're just stumbling around in the darkness. And there is a lot of darkness. But the Bible says that God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Chasing smoke won't help you in the dark. It might smell nice, it might keep you occupied, but it won't help. Light will help you. God's word is a light. Y'all, but God's word gets even better than this. It gets so much more incredible than that. Not only does it guide us in life, but it's valuable and it's enjoyable. David continues on in this song. He says, there are greater value than gold, than even a great amount of pure gold. They bring greater delight than honey, than even the sweetest honey from a honeycomb. Yes, your servant finds moral guidance there. Those who obey them receive a rich reward. David's saying that God's word is more valuable than gold. It's worth more to him. It's, it's sweeter than the best food. Honey was the sweetest thing that they had at the time. 
And he's saying, I enjoy it more than that. That's what God's word is. He says that it brings a rich reward. And I'm not talking always about a ton of money. But it just brings this reward into our life. And you might be thinking, Nick, that's amazing. But I have no clue how to get God's word into my life. Let me tell you guys about what that looked like for me. See, I was just like Solomon. When I was young, I had a lot of people telling me to build my word on God, or build my life on God's word. I had family telling me that. I had friends telling me that. I had a community telling me that. But I went after everything like Solomon did. I chose to go after accomplishments and achievements and relationships and partying and materialism and helping other people, just trying to be a good person, comparing myself to other people. And I found that it was like smoke. But the whole time, I had guys who were inviting me to read the Bible with them. And so I did. And we'd wake up early, or we'd stay up late, and we would learn about the God who loves you and who loves me. And so then one of them, my friend Drew, he started challenging me to memorizing Bible verses. I was like, like my Nana taught me to do when I was six, to get a treat. And said, exactly like that. So I decided to take it on. And I memorized one verse. I I memorized 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And I started to realize, hey, because I started following Jesus, I am not the same person. I'm made new. And so I memorized the next verse, Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I realized that my life doesn't belong to me anymore, but it belongs to, it belongs to Jesus because he died for me to give me life. And I memorized John 14, 21. That's whoever, it says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Whoever loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love him and show myself to him. And I realize that God's love language is obedience to his word. And I realized I don't know how to study the Bible. So I asked my friend Matt. And we sat down and he started to teach me how to take a little chunk of scripture. How to ask questions and how to write down my thoughts and apply it to my life. And then I started to meditate on God's word. I started to reflect. And, and think it over in my mind as I'd be walking to class. And I realized that, that my life didn't really line up with what God said. And so much of the pain and the heartache that I had was because of sin. My own choices to trust myself over God. David continues in his song. He says, who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. And so I started to put God's word into practice. And God used it to change my life. And the man that I was started to reflect the new creation that God had made me into. And my my character started to change. My speech started to change. My thoughts started to change. The way I treated other people, it all started to change. And so I asked, okay, what's next with God's word? Someone said, hey, teach it to other people. I thought, ooh, that's the hard one. Because what are other people going to think about me? But y'all, I sat down with some of my friends to read the Bible with them. 
and men that I had chased smoke alongside, I saw their eyes start to have a spark of hope for the very first time when they would crack open God's word and we would read it together. We have the words of life and it's found in God. And we can give that to other people. And you might be asking, Nick, what's the point of all of this? David summarizes it accurately in the last line of his song. He says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Because ultimately, David saw that at the end of the day, he just wanted to please God. Because God was his source of strength. And God is his redeemer. That means that God is the one who gave David value. And God is the exact same one that can give you value. A lot of us, we think our value comes from what we do. Or we think our value comes from who loves us. Or or who we love. Or we think our value comes from what we have. Or who we help. Y'all, your value comes because you were made in the image of God. And that God loves you. And he loved you so much that he wasn't willing to let you stay in your sin. But he sent his son to die on the cross for you. And that's what gives you value. That is an infinite amount of value. And that is how God sees you if you decide to follow him. And he starts to see this. And David saw that. And I started to see this. And we start to realize that we find our value in God's word. Because it is his letter to us. And we get to know that God that loves us. Y'all, with all of this, my first fear is not that you will leave here and, and think that the Bible's not good. I think we can all see that the Bible's a positive. My fear is that you'll buy the lie that's only for you, Nick. And you'll spend your whole life searching, just like King Solomon. And you'll miss out on a lifetime of getting to know the God who loves you by reading and following and obeying his word just because you won't give it a try. I've mentioned memorizing God's word. And you might be thinking, I don't have time for that. Or Nick, I don't have the memory that you do. I actually hear that often. Guys, let me tell you a little bit about my mom. She's an amazing woman, first of all. I absolutely love her. She started following Christ when she was young, about 16 And as she lived her life, she continued wanting to get to know God. But when I started memorizing scripture, she thought, Nick, that's so cool. I I don't have time for that. I don't have the capacity for that. Because at the time, she was a full-time nurse. She was also in graduate graduate school to become a nurse practitioner. She was a wife and a mom and all the other things that my mom was doing. And I said, Mom, I know you can do it. Just, Just choose one verse. And so she's decided, okay, I'm going to memorize one verse. And she did. And then she memorized another one. And then she decided, okay, I'm only going to memorize ten, and that's it. That's all I have the capacity for. Y'all, today my mom has memorized over 150 verses. And she says that nothing has been more transformational in her relationship with God than storing up his word in her heart and in her mind. She downloads an app called Scripture Typer. You can get it. I think it's called Bible Memory now. You can use it. 
to memorize verses. There's actually a card underneath your seat that has a list of Bible verses on it. It's called the Topical Memory System. Those are the first verses that I memorized and also that my mom memorized and that so many others have memorized. And I promise if you put the effort into storing God's word in your life, you will find light and you will have light in your mind and you will get to know God. On the back of that card, there's something called the 31-day challenge. Because my other fear is that you'll, you'll think, Nick, that's, that's just for you. Because you haven't given it a try. But God's word says, and it tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Just like Memphis barbecue. It says just give it a shot. See if God doesn't show up as you read his word. Read those 31 verses on there every single day. I, I was going to say, hey, try just reading a couple of those verses a week. Or I was just going to say, hey, just do it every other day. But y'all, we are adults here, and so I'm going to treat us like adults. I'm going to challenge you to read a, a, one of those verses, one of those passages, every single day for the next 31 days of your life. Because God's word is far too valuable than for me to sell it short. Y'all, the Bible is for you. My second concern is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll feel God tugging on your heart tonight, and you'll walk out of here, and you'll do nothing. James 1.22 says, do not be deceived or do not be misled. And do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We cannot do nothing. Y'all, the only regrets that I have in life since following Jesus are the times where I chose not to listen to what God was prompting me to do. And you might have been following Christ for some time, and you might be sitting here thinking, I can't go any deeper in God's word. There's nothing more I can get. Y'all, I had a friend challenge me to memorize the entire book of James. He said that we were going to do it together. I don't even know if he's following Jesus still. But what I can tell you is the book of James. It says, James, a servant of God the Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. I could keep going. I'm not going to. And I don't say that so that you can think, oh, wow, Nick, that's so cool that you have the book of James memorized. I say that to show us that every single one of us can go deeper in God's word for the rest of our lives. Be obedient to what God prompts you to do tonight. My final concern, y'all, is that if you're not a follower of Jesus, you'll feel like you're too broken to read the Bible. Because you know that deep down you won't measure up. So you don't follow Jesus. And you keep chasing smoke because you think, man, there's no way that the God who wrote this book wants to get to know me. God says, though, that eternal life is knowing him and knowing Jesus Christ. Those are his words. 
but you don't think that God wants to know you because you think you're too broken or you think you've messed up too many times and you're thinking, Nick, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the people that I've hurt or the amount of times I've slept with someone that I don't love or the amount of money that I've wasted away or the people that I've betrayed. You don't know. But guys, God wants to know you. But you don't think so, so you spend your whole life chasing these other things. And maybe you find enjoyment in them for some time, but you never find where life is. So what's the benefit? God's word says, what does it profit a man to gain the entire world and lose his soul? But you don't think that you'll ever know God, and so you chase smoke. But y'all, God loves you, and he wants you And he died a very painful death on a cross so that your sins could be taken away and so that you could be clean and pure and healed and so much more. And he tells us this right here in this book. This is his letter to you. Ultimately, the Bible is not just a life guide or a how-to. It's a story of how God loved the world despite the fact that we run from him every chance we get and how he made a way For us to have a relationship with him. And if you have not ever started a relationship with Jesus. I am encouraging you right now. To do that. And read the Bible so you can get to know God. Y'all don't leave this place and do nothing. Don't listen to these words and do nothing. Get God's word in your life. And I promise you. It will have better payouts than anything else you can do for your entire life. That's how confident we are in God's word because that's what God says in his word. I'm going to pray for us, then we're going to close. God, I, I pray that as we're listening to this, God, I pray that we would have sensitive hearts. God, I pray that for me. I pray that for our volunteers. I pray that for every single person in this room. God, I pray that we would apply these things to our life and that we wouldn't just walk away and do nothing. God, you are so much more valuable than that. God, I pray that we would get to know you, the God who loves us and who gives us life. And we wouldn't chase smoke for the rest of our lives, but we would build our lives on your word. God, help us to run hard after this and to seek your word more than we seek gold or more than we seek good food or any other thing. And God, help us to do this with other people who will challenge us and and, and teach us to learn. I love you, and I'm grateful for you, and I'm so just in awe of the way that you have changed my life. We pray all these things through your son's holy name, Jesus. Amen.